0: in
1: the house, let me your Let me see your let me see your in the yard. Hello and welcome to All We Do is Purple. It's the UW Dog Pound. Husky football podcast in the third or fourth most university of third or fourth most mediocre University of Washington football podcast on the entire internet. Probably because we bungled the intro and why we can't get up into the top two of mediocrity. We're joined tonight. I'm Andrew Berg, your host, and joined by Rob Fox Curran. Instead of Gaby Lucas, producer Rob is tonight.
0: I'm doing well. Um, hello, dog fans. Sorry I'm not Gaby. I will do my best to try and live up to her awesome reputation.
1: <laughs> that gave was unavailable tonight. We wanted to get something on the record talking about National Signing Day, the early signing day. Uh, it's an exciting day because we get to dream on the future, and I think one of the reasons recruiting is so popular as a topic is that uh, we everything is possible. We <laughs> look at the, the – recruits and we start dreaming about Pac-12 titles and college football playoffs and even the fact that the team is seven and five at the moment doesn't matter because we're looking ahead we've got the one of the best recruiting classes on the west coast maybe the best depending on how you break it down uh rob just give me your general impressions now that we've seen the 23 letters of intent come in for the uh 2019 2020 recruiting class what are your overall thoughts on the class and then we'll break down some of the individual players as we go along
0: As far as general thoughts on the class go, uh, it's very offensive heavy in terms of star power. There's quite a few weapons that they're bringing in here. Perhaps the most featured one is Jalen McMillan, four-star wide receiver out of San Joaquin Memorial, Fresno, California. He is 6'2", has elite speed, great hands, massive catch radius, really nothing not to love about that kid. Excuse me. But uh, in addition to that... uh, Rome Odunzi, another great big-bodied wide receiver. Mark Redman, 6'6", tight end, one of two that they're bringing in. Three four-star linemen, including two All-Americans. Got to be excited about that. Um, Four-star QB. Really, they they just killed it in offensive recruiting. Two two good-looking running backs. Um, I know right now the talk on Sam Adams is a lot of people believe that his His future or his upside is highest on the defensive side of the football, um, in the secondary most likely. I think he was a great uh, safety for Eastside Catholic. But as of now, they're bringing him in as a running back. But for those who have watched uh, JV on Sunday, the second running back in this class out of Connelly, uh, Connelly High School in Waco, Texas, he is actually definitely one of the, like the sleeper exciting recruits in this class he is his his tape is remarkable uh he is 511 I believe uh, just under 200 pounds and he is a violent runner he has great speed um, really just a, a power back by definition uh, and his his film is really exciting to watch I highly encourage you to go uh, find his huddle page and check it out He's perhaps one of the guys I'm most excited about.
1: Yeah, I think I agree with what you're saying around uh, particularly the star power being on the offensive side of the ball. And just as you ran through it, you could pretty much put an entire lineup of recruits on the field if you wanted to do just a purely freshman team. I think we might come up uh, one short on the offensive line, but got a couple really interesting tight ends. You got a couple really interesting running backs. They're bringing in the high-end receiving talent, which, you know, over the last couple years, one of the narratives about the offense has been that it's been lacking the high-end receiving talent. And with Puka coming back and towards the end of the year Terrell Bynum emerging and starting to see flashes from uh, Spiker and Osborne a little bit, but then also bringing in McMillan and Odunze, that's not going to be an accurate description anymore. This is now a receiving room that is just full of talent. And then, you know, as you mentioned, uh, Mark Redman, and then there's also a possibility still in the later signing period of bringing in another tight end, namely uh, Jack Yeri, who seems to be deciding between possibly the L.A. schools and U-Dub. We're going to have tons of opportunities for mismatches uh, playing in the, you know, two tight end sets, three tight end sets, and guys who can both block and catch passes really well. And having all those things together just makes the uh, offensive coordinator job, whoever that ends up being, makes that job a lot easier. Um,
0: and lest, yeah. lest we forget, uh, 6'4", Ty Jones will be back next season as right? well from yeah. his redshirt year.
1: be a ninth-year senior. At least it feels that way. Um,
0: Andrew, I, uh, I ran through my entire list highlighting offensive recruits, but I don't think I touched on the crown jewel of Washington's recruiting class here. I would love to get your take on Savelle Smalls.
1: Yeah, I, I, so Savelle is, you mentioned earlier, I was going to say, you said most of the star power is on the offensive side of the ball, and when you break it down, uh, all but two of the blue-chip, four- and five-star recruits are on that side, but you almost make up for it on the defensive side with Savelle Smalls being the first five-star recruit to sign with UW in, uh, well, since Shaq Thompson, or whatever year that was, um, and the highest-rated recruit they've had since Shaq. And, uh, so technically, throughout Chris Peterson's tenure, there was never a five-star recruit. And as soon as he left, just magically, Jimmy Lake starts signing a five-star recruit. So I think this is just something we could expect going forward. But it is really exciting. I, I saw Yogi Roth did a little video analysis of Savell on uh, Twitter today, and he compared him to Khalil Mack. Uh, which is a little, I mean, physically you can see the comparisons. It's, it's a little weird to think about since Mac was kind of a late bloomer It wasn't really all that highly recruited and ended up playing at, uh, Buffalo. Uh, but Savell, obviously very highly recruited, could have gone anywhere in the country. Sounded like if he wasn't going to be interested in UW, there were maybe Tennessee or Florida State might have caught his eye, but never really got to that point. Uh, but bringing him in, if he really is that kind of player who can line up uh, at kind of the buck linebacker position or maybe defensive end if we if he puts on a little bit of weight and and we play him more in kind of that uh, down lineman role that, that Ryan Bowman or Joe Tryon uh, have kind of cycled in and out of at times. Either way, if he's blowing up tackles, getting to the quarterback, creating pressure on his own the way that Khalil Mack does, it changes the entire complexion of the defense. You end up uh, – the, the secondary – has a much easier job because they're being asked to cover for less time. The quarterback's going to make more mistakes. You can, you allow the defensive backs to jump roots because they know that the quarterback's going to have to get the ball out more quickly. Uh, the Huskies haven't, I mean, this is skewed a little bit in the last two years since, uh, Jimmy Lake took over play calling for, uh, Pete Kwiatkowski, but have there been a super heavy blitz team and to the detriment sometimes of the overall pass rush, I, if, if Savelle is what he's advertised to be, that's not going to be a problem for the next few years. It's, it's just like a one-man pass rush, and you pair him with the way Tryon played in the second half of this year, and it's a two-man pass rush, and it's really dynamic and really dangerous, and it could really change, you know, make our defense go from bend-but-don't-break to terrifying very, very quickly.
0: Yeah, and... Um... We were talking about Tryon and Smalls. Uh Leatu Latu, true freshman, who is this year, too, um, he had a – Yeah. I mean, he's an intimidating figure. It's six four, and he had a great freshman year himself. So between the three of those guys alone, one would hope and think that our pass rush for the, at least next season, if not into the uh, two seasons from now with the three of those, depending on how long Joe Tryon sticks around, should be pretty dang good, one would hope.
1: Yeah, and you should be able to get all three of those guys on the field at the same time because Latu is more of the traditional down lineman, and I, I would imagine most of the snaps for Smalls, in, unless he puts on a lot of weight, and Triad are going to be more of that outside linebacker type of position. So you, you can have all three of those guys on the field at the same time, which is pretty terrifying, I, I would say. Um, the, the rest of the – we could talk a little bit about some of the uh, – Less impressive parts of the recruiting class where there's just not as much depth kind of on the defensive line, parts of the linebacking core. But before we get there, I just wanted to get your take on if there's one player in this class who's really stood out to you, who you, you're you either watching video on him or reading about him, seems like somebody who uh, might beat the projections or be better than the recruiting ratings have uh, pegged them to be.
0: Yeah, you know, um I was thinking about this and I've I've already talked to uh, Javion Sunday um, again, he's really exciting. I I think he despite being a lower rated back than Sam Adams the uh, 2nd, the local kid from Eastside Catholic who I am high on, I think Javion ends up becoming the premier running back or the primary running back of these two from this class. Um, But in addition to Javion, uh, the other Texas recruit, Cooper McDonald, is being recruited as an inside linebacker. Uh, He's listed on 247's site as 6'3", 220 pounds. He is perhaps a bit of a a, a Tevis Bartlett type. Um, But uh, watching his high school film, this dude is is physical. He is fast. Uh, He really could end up being quite the pickup at middle linebacker. Um, The other middle linebacker, another three-star recruit we picked up in this class, Carson Bruner, local recruit. Um, Apparently, he's just got the heart of a lion. I've watched some film on him, Uh, really physical, really smart player, and also Husky Legacy. And sorry, not to to name everybody here on the roster, I don't want to steal steal your thoughts, but the number one guy I'm most excited about, and I'm jumping back up into the four-star ratings here, but I'm going to focus on alignment, so hopefully that makes it interesting and unique is uh, center recruit Miles Morale. So Morrell uh, has has played left tackle for Matter Day, which, for those who are not familiar, is one of the best high school programs in the country and some years maybe the best high school football program in the country. And at 6'2", he was starting at left tackle for this team. So, oh. of course, 6'2", is not an ideal position for a left tackle. Um, but given that uh, he's being recruited as a center to play in college, 6'2 will do totally fine, especially with uh, our current center, Nick Harris, is only 6'1". So the, we're, we're bringing in a, a very athletic center uh, who played an elite position at an elite high school, and he is highly regarded by all ranking systems, and he should be a stellar Kid who can compete for playing time, potentially even year one. I think he's coming in this winter, so he, sh- he should have uh, some time to get his feet wet in the college ranks before we head into fall camp next year.
1: Yeah, he's exciting. And one element of that coming from Matter Day is how rare it is to pull players from Matterday who are elite recruits uh, up to the Northwest or really anywhere outside of USC if USC's interested in them. Uh, that may just be, you know, we've we've gone through this on our end too with losing some elite recruits like Foster, Sarrell, just wanted to go somewhere else. Maybe that, you know, morale just wanted to leave LA. But the fact that that's happened so infrequently over the years, and when he did choose to leave Matter Day or leave the the Matter Day to USC pipeline, that UW was the school he chose is very encouraging. I mean, the fact that we have coaches who can make a connection like that uh, is very encouraging. And you can say the same thing about. Uh, jv and sunday that we've started to kind of get texas recruits year after year uh started a few years ago uh started really paying off with uh levi onzarike who's kind of the first breakout player to come out of texas and if mcdonald and sunday are also productive you're just building more relationships with the coaches it you know kind of gives role models to teammates or guys coming through similar programs uh doing all those things are great um so, you know, I think that helps in, in regards to both of those players that you mentioned. Uh, the one I, I wanted to highlight, and this is I – don't, I don't know if he's underrated, but I kind of entered the recruiting cycle looking at Ethan Garber as the quarterback as filler. And I believe when he committed, we'd already received a commitment from Sam Heward. If not, it came very shortly after and everyone kind of understood that Heward would be the quarterback in the 2021 class. So he's sandwiched uh, in between classes with Dylan Morris and Sam Heward, who are both, at least at the time we were recruiting Garbers, significantly high, higher rated recruits. <clears throat> and it looked like this was just somebody who would be uh, kind of a, a bridge quarterback, you know, in case of emergency break glass and put him in the game, kind of the Jake Hayner role, but somebody that we weren't really planning on being um, a starter or, Really having a sincere competition to be the starter. Through his senior year, he put up such incredible stats and looked like he had a much, <clears throat> looked like he developed arm strength as his career went on, as should happen as, as players uh, physically develop. And obviously, when you're 16, 17, eight years, 18 years old, your body's developing as well. And he, he became a stronger player. Uh, and just, he put up senior year stats that are kind of reminiscent of all the record breaking stats that Jake Browning had his senior year in high school. Uh, and he's also just he's done a lot in terms of promoting the school, doing uh, recruiting among his peers, which seems like a very good sign to me that he's super committed and he has leadership characteristics that you want in a quarterback from the beginning. And putting all that together, I think he's turned into somebody I view as a lot more than just a bridge or organizational filler type of quarterback and somebody who hopefully can be, you know, in the middle of a genuine quarterback competition in a year or two when we're going to have a pretty loaded quarterback room and it doesn't just automatically by default go to uh, Heward when he steps on campus. You know, the more competition there, the better, I would say.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I love your pick, and I love the comp uh, to Jake Browning. I, I think it's totally fair. Um, 6'2", I mean, he not that it's entirely relevant anymore, but I, he looks like the picture-perfect Chris Peterson quarterback. And, like you said, the the stats he's putting up in his senior year, albeit not at the highest level of competition uh in California, but still just gaudy numbers that against any competition or the the talent is clearly there, he is a baller. so nice great choice on Garbers. yeah, i think I think he's uh slowly surprised a lot of husky fans uh, this year, and I at this point, I would say it's pretty awesome that we were able to bring him in regardless of who's coming in, uh, last year or next year. Uh, he's, he's an exciting recruit just on his own.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so when you look at the class as a whole, again, we signed 23 guys today. I think there were a total of about 70 offers, 70 some offers extended this cycle. Uh, you know, still a few loose ends to tie up. We don't know exactly where they'll land. So that's a batting average right around 30%, which is exceptionally good. Uh, I think Oregon landed around 7% uh, just because they made so many more offers. They signed a similarly sized class. But even in that 30% uh, rate of converting offers into commitments, uh, that means that 70% of the guys we went after, we did not sign. So among those 70%, for whatever reason, is there a name or two that jumps out at you as somebody you really wish uh, we could have brought into this class?
0: So yeah, um, I was actually playing this game earlier today, kind of looking at some names that I had taken for granted throughout this process. So, you know, I assumed we would get them, or you know, thought we thought we had a really good shot of getting them, and we didn't end up uh, getting their commitment. Um, some names that come to mind are Aiden Hector, defensive back from Eastside Catholic, who was recruited by most of the elite schools in the country. Like I said, he ends up at Stanford. Um, that that he he would have been a great addition to the secondary and I think a lot of people given the fact that he was local and we have Jimmy Lake assumed that that would happen uh, he ends up going in a different direction um, so he would have been great to have but you know hard to knock a kid for going to Stanford so good luck to him there um, uh, middle linebacker recruiting was something you know I, I like the guys we ended up with um, that said I uh, there were at least two recruits out of Hawaii that um, many thought we had a good chance with uh, Jordan Batello um, and uh, Her- Herbig, I believe. Yeah, um, Herbig, I think, is the one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Those are by short at yeah. Notre Dame and Wisconsin, respectively. They were both four-star guys who were initially high on the Huskies. Um, uh, the inside news there is apparently the two of them actually did not get along and had some conflict or maybe thought at one point during a practice this season. So apparently, whether or not one of them ended up a dog, apparently neither of them were going to end up at the same school, regardless of the situation. Um, And then Jordan Banks was the other one at uh, inside linebacker that I was kind of hoping the Huskies could reel in. I'm, I'm pretty sure he took an official visit to Washington, Um, and I was, I was pretty high on him, but he ended up at Arizona state, uh, who brought in a pretty good haul this year. But those are the names that came to mind for me, um, on the defensive side of the ball where again, uh, one five star, one four star in this current class. Um, but missing some of the big names that people were throwing around earlier this year. Um, how about you? Uh, who, who are you bummed out that we didn't end up with in this class?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of those names that you mentioned are the same ones I would have said. I, and I'd add for particularly for Botello or Herbig, whoever, you know, the possibility of playing inside that since that's been kind of a problem area for UW, at least for this year since Ben Burkirvan, uh went to the Seahawks, it was not as strong of a position. I know there's a lot of talent in the freshman and sophomore classes right now, but it's, you know, just adding more talent to that position group when it hasn't been performing as well seemed important. I'm hopeful that Bruner and or McDonald can emerge and become much better players than what their recruiting rankings tell us. You know, these aren't guarantees. They're kind of functioned as probabilities, so there's certainly a chance that a three-star guy could become an all-conference player for us. Uh, Would obviously prefer to have one of the top ten players in the country at that position or whatever. Uh, It doesn't always work out that way. The other one, just because there was such a paucity of talent on the West Coast for defensive linemen this year, if we could have ended up pulling somebody like Xavier Carlton, who had looked late in the process, like we had a good shot at, it just would have added more depth there. It, it's kind of a bummer to go through a, a class uh, empty on the defensive line, uh, other than getting Jordan Lolohea back from his mission trip. Uh, but you know, checking in around 240 pounds isn't the same thing as a guy who can truly play pretty quickly with his uh, hand on the ground. So I I think there's still still some lingering questions around Carlton. I, I saw he did not uh, sign a letter of intent today. I don't know if that's if he's still planning on doing that with Utah now. I don't think he's formally committed, but all the signs. Were pointing to Carlton uh, not coming to UW when he canceled his official visit last weekend. And before that, I was feeling pretty hopeful about him. So it's too bad we weren't able to add a little bit more depth on the defensive line. But all things considered, uh, I'm I'm very happy with how this turned out. And I think it's about as strong of a class as UW has put together in the last six years since this Peterson now into Lake era started. So. Um, I, I I think that's. Uh, do you have any other uh, information on Carlton? Is, is am I reading that correctly? That he's still likely uh, going to end up at Utah, as far as you know?
0: Yeah, I know. Um, again, two four seven crystal balls. They're they're all indicating Utah. Um, for for those unfamiliar with his recruitment, he was actually scheduled to come to Washington on the final recruiting weekend uh, last weekend with. Uh, about half of our total recruiting class, a little more then. And he bailed last minute. His excuse was that he had to study for finals this week. But he's from Utah. I believe both of his parents are Utah alums. Um so the the assumption is that he's a bit of a lock there, uh, for the Utes, who of course, you know, have a very good defensive line, have a very good defense. The you can understand the appeal of, of staying home and and, you know, being a a local hero and a star on an elite defense, um, where he has a unique physical skill set. He's six seven, I think. So with that with that type of size, you know that's that's would be a really unique and attractive pickup, especially like you said on the West Coast, where there is certainly a paucity of defensive linemen.
1: All right, so I I think we're more or less on the same page there, so let's take a quick break. We're going to come back after this and talk a little bit about the Las Vegas Bowl as that is coming up this weekend, and we might as well talk uh, Husky football one more time this year before it's up. But it's been good talking recruiting, and stick around. We'll be right back to talk a little bit of Las Vegas Bowl. So welcome back. We are now just a couple days away from – the Huskies taking on Boise in the maybe most narrative-filled bowl game of the entire bowl season, the Chris Peterson Bowl in Las Vegas. Uh, Huskies taking on Boise State. We talked a little bit about this last week when Gabby was on. Uh, it seems like the odds are we're going to kind of see mirror images of teams, uh, at least on the play-calling side, since so many of the coordinators and and Position coaches come from the same coaching tree. Uh, what are you expecting to see on Saturday when uh, the teams actually get on the field?
0: Yeah, you know, um, not really an original thought here, but Brian Harson took over as Boise State's offensive coordinator position right after Coach Pete um, became, left it and became the head coach at Boise State, and uh, they they pretty much run the same offense. Their defense is not great so you know but that hasn't stopped Washington's offense this season from
1: (laughs) it's almost scarier to play a defense that isn't that good because those are the games where our offense just hasn't shown up right
0: oh gosh no yeah so for whatever reason you know you you think we might have a fighting chance and our offense will show up against a good defense like Oregon or Utah or something um not that we won those games but uh yeah no um there's in theory, on paper, there's no reason why the Huskies shouldn't be able to score a decent amount of points in this game. And again, in theory, on paper, uh, Washington's defense should be able to handle a lot of the Boise State of what the Boise State offense can throw at you. I know their starting quarterback question, or their starting quarterback is still a little in question. I believe it's a uh, the senior um, Jalen Henderson started about. Four games ago, and after losing at BYU, in which he only threw a single pass, he led them to four straight wins, including a Mountain West uh, championship win against Hawaii, who they beat twice this season. They've beaten some good teams, you know. I, I think Boise State has a case to be upset that you know they're not they're not in a uh, New Year's Six bowl at 12 and one, but so it goes. Man, Coach Pete has got to be really bummed out by this matchup, right?
1: <laughs> I, I mean, I guess I get that from the, the perspective that he doesn't want the attention to be on him and he, he probably cares a lot about the guys on the other side of the field. At the same time, it's interesting. Like, he's, he wants to compete. I mean, maybe he doesn't at this point and he wants to do something different. But I think the fact that there is actually narrative associated with the Las Vegas Bowl which, as Gaby and I talked about last week, is some years just kind of a throwaway game. Like, it's very easy to forget what's happened in past Las Vegas Bowls. The fact that there's something going on here makes it way more interesting than it otherwise would be. There are even some Husky Bowl games that you kind of remember the broad strokes, but you don't really remember a lot about the storylines going into the game. And this is one where that's not going to be the case. And I know that's not what ultimately matters the most to the coaching staff. But as a fan, I'll take it. I think it's kind of fun to have that, uh, going for us. Uh, as for the, the action on the field, it's a little bit tricky, uh, to, to evaluate just how good Boise is. You mentioned Hank Bachmeyer, the quarterback getting injured, and then there's a little bit of back and forth between Henderson and Cord, and Henderson's been playing more lately. Uh, he hasn't been bad, hasn't been great. He's probably not as explosive, as much of a playmaker as, as Bachmeyer. Uh, although I, I do think with our defense's ability to capitalize on mistakes, it might not have been the worst thing to uh, go up against a, a quarterback who makes plays but also makes mistakes because we tend to capitalize on opponent, opposing quarterbacks making mistakes. Um, and then, you know, Boise, again, this is something that we've seen Peterson do. They like to use a running back by committee. They do have uh, one running back kind of every year who kind of leads that committee, and this year that's George Halani. He is also a freshman, and he's led them in carries, but they, they have a stable running backs who get involved, and everybody has their role, and everybody's kind of productive. So uh, it's going to be, again, usage-wise, look pretty similar to what the Huskies are doing. Uh, the, the thing is, I don't blame Boise for this. They, they haven't, you mentioned they've beaten some good teams. They haven't really beaten any great teams. They don't have anybody, uh, I guess Air Force is probably the team, uh, the only team that's currently ranked who they played.
0: Uh, yeah, and Florida State doesn't look like much of a win. Right. at the anymore. time,
1: it felt pretty good. And I don't blame them. You know, you schedule these games a few years in advance, and who knew that this was going to be Florida State kind of going in the toilet? Uh, they certainly tried to schedule a difficult non-conference game there, and and a lot of other good teams don't want to put Boise on their schedule because that gives them you know it's a, it's a, a, a high-risk, low-reward situation because they're not going to get as much out of a win as they would lose from a loss. So you end up with a difficult scheduling situation, and then you get FSU in a down year, and all of a sudden you're looking at 12-1 and 1 with your best win being against the service academy. And that doesn't mean as much to you, – you mentioned the New, year, New Year's 6 uh, issue. Memphis got it over them, uh, going to the Cotton Bowl. I, I, I can't meaningfully distinguish between the quality of those teams. I couldn't tell you if they played each other ten times who would come out – uh, on top more often than the others. So it's, Boise had a good year. Uh, we'll get to learn a little bit more about them on Saturday, uh, because this Washington might end up being the, the most talented team they've played this year, even though it's been an underachieving Huskies team. Uh, we should mention too that it, one thing that is, will definitely show up is we don't have the left side of our offensive line. Uh, with both, well, we don't have two of our offensive linemen, I should say, with both Kirkland and Trey Adams missing this game. Uh, it's going to definitely make a difference in our pass protection, and we've really liked running behind Kirkland, uh, when we do run inside, so that is going to be an issue for the offense. But hopefully, I, I am ultimately pretty confident that we can, uh, come out on top of this one because Peterson has historically done a pretty good job, uh, when he's had extra time to prepare and when he's had an advantage, uh, like a a, a talent advantage on his side, which isn't all the time. He tends to coach players up pretty well and do well in these types of games. Uh, Do you have a prediction on who you think is going to win and roughly what you think the score might look like?
0: Yes, so you know, this this game has changed a little bit from the start. As you mentioned, Trey Adams is out. Um, the one of the big matchups people were talking about heading into this game was uh, Boise State's one really featured player on defense, Curtis Weaver. He's a outside linebacker, weak side defensive end type, edge rusher. Um he's got thirteen point five sacks and nineteen tackles for a loss this season, but now Weaver's matchup with Adams isn't a thing anymore. Maybe, you know, Weaver can get consistent pressure on Eason, and that throws our passing game uh, into a mess, which is easy to believe at this point in the year, given how that's gone for the rest of the season. But at the same time, our I, I have faith, even with a couple of backups in, our, our running game, which has not done great. I think it's uh, in the last four games we haven't, topped 100 rushing yards in three of them. But regardless, I'd like to think that we should be able to still run the ball pretty consistently against Boise State. I think our defense should still be able to to handle Boise State's offense well enough. I wouldn't be surprised if Boise State got off to a fast start. Um, I think the line is what? Washington by three in this one right now, do you know? I
1: Last I saw it was three and a half, but it's been in that range the whole time that I've seen.
0: Yeah, you know, I'd like to I'd like to think Washington can win a little more comfortably by that, maybe a touchdown or so. I wouldn't necessarily just just given uh, the seven and five season is certainly weighing on my mind here, which is maybe a little unfair given just the talent disparity between these two teams. But I I feel a little uncomfortable saying Washington wins by much more than a touchdown. But I'd I'd like to give Washington a, a touchdown a touchdown lead here. It will win for the Huskies. Try and send send the season off on a good note. Send Peach, uh, Coach Pete off on a good note. Um, otherwise, kind of like you spelled out earlier, it's just a there's not there's not much in a loss to Boise State that you can really hang your hat on versus the assumed win for Boise State.
1: I that's exactly right. I'm more or less on the same page as you. I think I, I'd probably pick a spread of about six seven points, something like. 27 21 kind of on the low scoring side i think you're probably right that if boise is going to have success offensively it'll probably come earlier and our defense will tighten up as the game goes on we've seen that a few times this year uh and i I think it probably will be on jacob eason in the passing game to move the ball a little bit which hasn't always worked but it has worked uh a decent amount this year and, and i'm hopeful that it'll happen again here so uh, let's wrap up there. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk a little bit about uh, how that, that game turned out and what we can look forward to in the offseason, if there's any coaching no- uh, uh, noise to be heard or anything like that. But before we leave you, let's quickly touch on our uh, recommendations of the week. I know that, uh, Rob, you sit here and you listen to Gabby, and I recommend things every week. So you've probably got a treasure trove of interesting things uh, to recommend now that you're back on mic.
0: Oh, gosh, you know, you'd think I'd be prepared for this, but um, <laughs> I've done some reading recently. Uh, what did I uh, – oh, here's here's something relevant for UW. Um, I read uh, maybe a couple months ago Americana. Uh, it's like a 400-year history of American capitalism. I think it's the full title. Um, I'm going to butcher his name as I look it up here, but it's written by UW alum, uh, Boo um, I'm so sorry for destroying your name, sir, but it's a great book. Um, if you're into history or economics or both, um, I highly recommend it. It's right up my alley and, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the read.
1: Cool. Uh, I'll, I'll throw a book into, I watched, I did watch a couple of movies this weekend. The, the one I liked was marriage story on Netflix, but everybody's probably going to see that or has heard about it anyway. Uh, Adam Driver's exceptionally good in it, so Scarlett Johansson. Uh, movie, the book I want to recommend is a uh, 70s uh, crime kind of verging on noir uh, called The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Uh, the author is named George Higgins. I'd never read anything by him before. It's an interesting book because it was. it's very dialogue heavy. It's very conversational, and the way that this guy writes uh, in the voice of the characters, it's about... Uh, uh, like a group of bank robbers and the cops chasing them in Boston in the 70s. And it just, there are so many distinctive voices that are so easy to identify as you get through the book. It's a very quick read and it's, uh, kind of, you keep going through the whole thing and it's just, uh, very it's a it's a pleasure to read i'm sure i learned a lot less reading that than you did in reading the 400 uh year history of capitalism but at the same time i i probably uh chuckled and smiled more while reading it i maybe not but that that would be uh my guess uh anything any last words before we sign off for the night
0: yeah you know um we are recording this on Tuesday, December 18th, so I don't really want to get political here, but Marriage Story was a great
1: movie. it's <laughs> highly political. Is that political? I don't know. Uh, not, not,
0: not at all. Figured it was Yeah. Alright,
1: well, yeah, yeah. We can guess at what the political affiliations of Noah Baumbach are, but uh, probably not really that relevant to the movie. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, good luck to the Huskies in the bowl game, and we'll be back next week to talk about how things turned out and what comes next.
0: Huskies are the number one recruited class in the Pac 12. That's a win. Go, dog.
1: I was